I'm so uh, thankful, so honored that today we have um, someone who's going to come and greet us for a few moments. She um, is one of our daughters in the house and just growed up over the weekend, turned 22 on Friday, right? So happy birthday, Allison Finley. Come on up here. Allison is just back from Amsterdam. Let's give her a big hand. Let's welcome her. And she comes to share some things the Lord's put on her heart about moms. Allison, we love you. So I'm really excited about this morning, just the opportunity to share my heart and what life has looked like the last three months for me and what the Lord has been sharing to my heart. But before I start, I just want to honor the woman that has completely impacted my life more than anyone else, and that's my mama. I wouldn't be half the woman I am today without you. You've really taught me what it looks like to be a woman of grace and to be a woman of true beauty and really just be a woman who pursues Jesus. So I love you and I'm so proud I could call you my mama. <laughs> I didn't cry. I didn't cry. Okay, so for those who don't know, I just spent the last three months, January through April, in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I partnered with a missions organization called Youth of the Mission. And my main ministry was to reach out and minister to the women and the prostitutes in the red light district. And to say this trip was an adventure would be an understatement. I had no idea what I was going into. I really just had an open heart and open mind and really just allowed the Lord just to do whatever he wanted. And he did exactly that. There were some moments where I was questioning the Lord if this was the right thing, if I came at the right time. Um, within my first three weeks, I ended up joining a brand new team. The team I was originally with kind of fell apart, and so I was placed with brand new people, had um, a brand new team, and it was very stretching. Um, I really had to rely on the Lord during those times, and I saw God do so much more than I even expected. This new team, I was able to create really strong friendships and we just bonded so well and we just really connected and we were all unified when we did ministry together and just looking back over the last three months I just want to share a couple of different highlights before I jump into the word um, within my probably my first month there I was in a team meeting and my leader said hey I've been working with this lady named Aurora and she used to work behind the windows in prostitution, but she left about a year or two ago. But now she's paying taxes off of the money she earned in prostitution. But she doesn't have enough money to pay those taxes. And so I just want to spend some time praying for her. And if the Lord lays anything on your heart, you can share it afterwards. So we prayed, and the Lord immediately told me, you have 100 euros in your wallet. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he said, I want you to give that to her. I'm like, okay, Lord, I will do that. And so after we prayed, the leader asked, so did anyone hear anything? And no one said anything. So I just sat there, didn't say anything. <laughs> and then at the end, I went up to her. I said, hey, how much money does she need? And she said, well, we've been able to raise a lot of money. All we have left is 100 euros. I said, well, I'm your woman. I'm going to give it to you. So I got it out of my wallet, I gave it to her, and about 30 minutes later, I was able to meet this woman, and we handed her the envelope with the money, and it was one of the most beautiful things 
I had ever seen. This woman who was so ashamed, so embarrassed by her past, she still identified herself as a prostitute. We gave her that money and paid off that debt for her, and she no longer had to identify herself as that. She no longer had to worry about the past and try to get enough money to pay it off, but it was done, and that was the most beautiful moment, and I'm so thankful I was obedient to the Lord in that one moment because two days later, my leader came to me and she said, hey, I see that you have a heart for this lady. I want you to disciple her. And so for six weeks, I met with her every week and we went through the book of Galatians together. And this woman, she spoke Spanish. And so we had um, a translator with us, but it was so cool just to see God do so much in her life, and we talked about our new identity in Jesus, and that Jesus Jesus doesn't see us as what we've done in the past. He doesn't see us as what we do for a living. He doesn't see us as our mistakes, but he sees us as daughters, and he's giving us freedom, and we can walk in that freedom, and we're no longer a sinner, but we're a saint, and we are righteousness in Jesus, and it was just for six weeks I was able to pour into her. And we cried together. We shared stories together. And even though we, both of us, we have complete different backgrounds, I can't identify with her in some things. But I do know brokenness. I do know life without the fullness of Jesus. And so we were able to connect in that level. And she was twice my age. But we just formed such a friendship. And it was something I'm so thankful for. And I believe that whole three months, it was worth it for that one woman. It was absolutely worth it. And so, um, yeah, ministry-wise, it was really incredible. I was stretched. I really just learned the simplicity and the power of the gospel. That we don't have to say a whole bunch of words, but we can just say that Jesus, he's good. He sees you where you're at, and he loves you right there. And um, I was also able to travel a lot. I spent three months in Amsterdam, but I also went to Paris and London and Belgium and Germany. And the highlight was Switzerland. It was absolutely gorgeous. So beautiful. Um, It was always a desire in my heart to go to Switzerland. And the Lord took me there about my last week in Amsterdam. And I think that was the perfect way to really end the trip. And the highlight from those few days over there was I was with a good friend and we rented a car and we drove up through the Swiss Alps and we got to this one place where the Swiss Alps were surrounding us and we got out of the car and I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, this is so beautiful. And he said, it's nothing compared to you. And so, of course, I start crying (laughs) And I told my friends, like, hey, let's just stay here one more moment and put on worship music. So we put on worship music. And the presence of the Lord was just so there. It was so there. Even on the other side of the world, in the middle of the Swiss Alps, the Lord's presence was so there. And I just realized that everywhere we go, whether we're in the red light district, whether we're in East Texas, whether we're in the mountains, the Lord is with us. He sees exactly where we're at, and he's with us, and he's faithful to us in the journey, and he honors our obedience. And, um, you know, originally I heard about this, um, I heard about YWAM in Amsterdam probably in 2011, so five years ago, and I wanted to go, but I didn't feel like it was the right time, so I laid it down. And then in 2016, five years later, I go. And so with that said, the Lord doesn't forget our desires. He doesn't forget our dreams. He sees those things. It might not always happen instantly. It might not be the moment that we expect it. But the Lord does see those things, and he will honor it, especially if we have a lifestyle of obedience. 
So with that said, um, one of the biggest lessons I learned was in Amsterdam. I was in the red light district, and these ladies, from a physical viewpoint, they're beautiful, and from a world standpoint, they're beautiful because they have, um, I guess you could say the perfect body, they have great hair, great makeup, they get all these attention from men, and people would say that they're beautiful. But I've spent time with these ladies, and I've cried with these ladies, and I've heard their stories, and I've seen their brokenness, and I've seen their insecurities and their fears, and I just know that there's something missing because they're always competing with the lady next to them in the other window. They're always comparing themselves. They're always, they're always they're lacking something, and they're empty. And so the Lord, I just remember this moment, he told me, we were never designed to fight for beauty. We were designed to receive beauty because he is the author of beauty. He is the one who created it, and he's the one who extends it to us because beauty can only be found in the creator. Yeah, we can try, we can strive, we can compare, but we will never be fully fulfilled in our heart. We will never reach that fulfillment that Jesus designed for us. So we were designed to receive beauty, and we receive that by walking with him by cultivating a daily relationship with him, by spending time with him, by hearing his voice, by obeying him. And as we continue doing that, our lives reflect his beauty because real beauty is something that represents the Father and shows the love of Jesus and something that shows the truth and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. That is beauty because that is what changes lives and that is what changes people. And so with that said, I really, I just want to spend some time this morning and talk about that kind of beauty. And the Lord really highlighted three different ladies in the Bible um, who really represented a piece of God's heart, who represented a piece of his beauty and how we can apply that to our own lives. And so the first woman I want to talk about is Ruth. And I love the story of Ruth. About six months ago, I probably read it 20 times. I just went over it and over it and over it, and the Lord kept showing me something else every time. And for those who don't know, I'll just kind of give a little background information on her. Ruth, she was a Moabite princess, and there was a family that she married into who was originally from Israel, but they left to go to the land of Moab. And she was married, had a great life, all these things, and then her husband dies, her brother-in-law dies, and her father-in-law dies. And so she's left with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her sister-in-law. And Naomi says, um, actually, you guys can go ahead and put the scripture up. It's Ruth 3, verse 3 through 5. Um, Naomi talks to her, and let me get it. Well, Naomi tells her, like, hey, you can either follow me into Israel or you can just stay where you're at and just stay in the land that you know and marry, have children, and move on with life. And the other sister-in-law was like, hey, I'll do that. I'll just stay here and move on. But Ruth says, hey, I'm going to stay loyal to you and I'm going to follow you to this foreign land because I want to stay loyal to the family name. And so that's what she does. And Naomi and Ruth... They go back into um, Israel, and there's just so much favor over them. And Ruth was able to go into 
the fields of Boaz, who was a very influential man, and she was able to pick up grain that the harvesters left behind. So she was able to provide food for her family and really provide financially for her and Naomi. And then one day, Naomi comes to her and makes a huge request. And she says in chapter 3, verse 3 through 5, Wash yourself, therefore, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. And then she said to her, All that you say I will do. So basically what Naomi was asking Ruth was she was saying, I want you to go to the place where Boaz lies at the threshing floor. I want you to uncover his feet, lay at his feet. And what that meant was I want you to ask him to be your family redeemer. So in other words, I want you to ask him to marry you and to have children. That's a really big request. <laughs> and Ruth says yes. And I know if somebody asked me to do that, I'd be like, uh, no, it's a little crazy because you're putting a lot of things on the line in that moment. You're putting your reputation on the line. She was already a foreigner. And so she was already had that going for her. And then she had to ask a man to marry her. Like, ooh. (laughs) But Ruth does that. And the story is she goes to the threshing floor. Boaz sees her. And Boaz basically tells her like, hey, I'll be your family redeemer. And the story ends up, they they get married, and um, Ruth ends up being the great-grandmother of David and is in the lineage of the Messiah. And so I've studied this story a lot, and about six months ago, the Lord told me, Allison, I want you to go to the threshing floor. And I didn't really know what that meant, and so I did some research on a threshing floor. A threshing floor was an area where they would gather grain and they would lay it down and cattle would walk upon it. And as the cattle kept walking upon it, the loose parts of it would start coming off. The parts that weren't very valuable, the parts that weren't really needed, it would start coming off. And when that whole process was done, the grain would be at its fullest potential. It would be the most valuable. It would be able to do what it was designed to do. And so when the Lord told me, Allison, go to the threshing floor, I knew that this was an opportunity to do what Esther did and lay down my pride, lay down my vision, my dreams of the future, and really just allow the Holy Spirit to walk upon that. Because I believe if we do that, we become refined. And we're able to be our, not the most valuable, but we're able to be the most prepared for what the Lord has called us to do. Because we go through the process of the threshing floor. And so I just see that lesson in this story of Ruth. And that's, I think that's something that we can apply to all of our lives. If we're waiting for a fulfillment from the Lord, like Ruth was. Ruth was waiting for a man. Ruth was waiting to have a family and to do all these things. And that's a good desire. But the Lord sent her to the threshing floor first. So I believe if we're waiting for breakthrough in our lives, we're waiting for promises of God to be fulfilled, let's go to the threshing floor first. Let's lay something down. Let's sacrifice it and allow God to walk upon it. And those insecurities, those fears, those doubts start coming off as God keeps putting pressure on it. And then when that process is done, Ruth was able to look up and her husband was right there. So what if we go to the threshing floor and lay something down and allow God to prepare us for what he's called us to. Because I believe the threshing floor was the launching pad 
into Ruth's destiny. If she never went to the threshing floor, she would have never met Boaz, and she would have never married into that family and never would have claimed the destiny God had for her. So I believe, let me get some water. I believe the threshing floor is so important, and I believe that's really a part of God's heart that we can reflect, the willingness to lay something down even when it's not easy, even when we're still waiting, even when our situation doesn't look like anything's changing. We can still lay something down and believe that God will be faithful to his word. The next woman I want to talk about is the woman named Esther. So for those who do not know... Esther was actually an orphan, and she had a family member named Mordecai, and um, a day came where the king was looking for the new queen. So he saw all these beautiful women, and Esther really found favor in the eyes of the king, and the king picked her. And so she married, and she became queen, and one day Mordecai comes to her and says, hey, there's a man named Haman who wants to kill all the Jews, and she herself was Jewish. And Mordecai tells her in Esther 4, verse 13, yeah, he tells her, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And what she was saying was reality, because although she was queen... If she approached the king without an invitation and he didn't extend the gold scepter, she could die just in a moment. Her life could be over. And so she was putting a lot of things on the line. She was putting her life on the line, her reputation on the line. The king didn't know she was Jewish. And so really, I believe this was a bold request Mordecai was making. But what I love about Esther is that she had such a resolve in her heart that she was willing to do that. She knew what God was calling her to do. She was willing to stand for righteousness, even if other people looked at her and mocked her, even if people thought she was crazy, even if people looked down upon her because of what she believed. She was willing to do that, and she did that, and God honored that. And not only was she saved and the rest of the Jewish people saved, but Haman, the very man who wanted to kill all of them, he himself was executed. So I just see God's hand all over Esther, and I believe this is something we can practice in our own lives. And when I was reading through this again like a couple of weeks ago, I was just reminded of this moment in Amsterdam. What, um, what we would do is we would go around the red light district, and we would offer coffee and tea and cookies to the ladies working behind the windows. And sometimes they would kind of shake their head and not want anything, so we'd just keep walking. And there are a lot of times that they would say, yeah, I want something. So we'd pour them coffee, and many times they would open up the door and let us come inside. So we would stand behind the windows with them, and the men walking along the streets could see us talking to the ladies behind the windows. 
And there was one moment, we were talking to a woman named Jane, and um, we were just kind of pouring into her, and I was just saying, hey, like, you are so talented, and you have so many gifts and so many passions, and I believe God has so much more for you than this, and I believe he sees your situation, he sees your financial needs, he sees these things that you're dealing with, and he wants to provide something a million times better, something that you're going to enjoy doing, something that you'll be fulfilled doing, And we were just pouring into her, telling her identity, telling her how much the Lord loves her. And in that moment, it was so beautiful because she had tears in her eyes and she was nodding her head. And I knew that God was doing something. And I believe in that moment, we were standing for righteousness. We were standing for like, this is what the Lord wants you to do. This is what is right. We believe we have a conviction in our heart. This is what God is telling you. So we're saying these things. And then I look out the window, and there's men walking by mocking us. There's men pointing at us, laughing at us, you know, just making fun of us. And I just, my mind jumped back to Esther. Like, no, our lives were not on the line. I was not going to go before a king. But it's a very similar situation. When we are standing for righteousness, we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. But if we get distracted and look at everyone else, we get discouraged. Because we could easily see people pointing at us, people mocking us, people thinking we're crazy and thinking we don't fit in with the situation. But I believe God brought me to that window, to that woman at that exact moment to speak life and to speak purpose over her. And so whether you're a mother and you have children at home and you're able to show them, hey, this is righteousness. This is how you can show the kids at school. This is how you can show the kids that you come, that you play sports with. This is how you can stand for righteousness and really be a representation to other children. Or maybe you work in an environment where people, they don't always follow the Lord and they don't always have a conviction in their heart. You can stand for righteousness. Whether you're with your family members and they don't know the Lord, you can do that again. We can all represent Jesus in that way like Esther did. And I believe that is so beautiful because the Lord honors that and he sees that. And the last woman I want to talk about is a woman that people... They don't always consider a Ruth or an Esther or a Mary or a prominent woman in the Bible, but this is a woman that I have just studied over and over and over again, and I think her story is so powerful, and it's the woman with the issue of blood. And this woman, she had suffered for 12 years. She had constant bleeding for 12 years. And what that meant was that ceremonially, she was considered unclean because she was bleeding. And so that meant she couldn't marry, so she was single, she really couldn't associate with very many people. So I think she was considered an outcast. People probably avoided her. They saw her in the streets and they backed away because they knew what was wrong with her and they, had, they wanted nothing to do with her. So I think she felt very isolated, very overlooked, very forgotten. And she had spent all her expenses on going to doctors. And doctors didn't know what was wrong. They didn't know how to fix her. So she was in pain. She was, she had, she was very weak in her body. And I think she also felt very hopeless because she had been searching for an answer for 12 years. But then she hears about this guy named Jesus. She hears that Jesus has healed people. Maybe she saw a miracle. Maybe she heard stories. I don't know what she knew. But she saw Jesus in the streets one day, and everything changed. She saw him walking through with a crowd and Instead of standing back and just thinking, well, I haven't been healed in 12 years. Nothing's going to change. I've already gone to all these amazing doctors and nothing has changed. 
She didn't stand there, but she pressed forward and she touched the hem of his robe. And that's where everything changed because in that moment, her body was healed. The bleeding that she had been suffering with for 12 years, it stopped in the one moment she touched Jesus. And then she slowly kind of gets back away from the crowd, tries to hide herself because she didn't want people to see her. She probably didn't want people to look at her and said, hey, that's the woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. She didn't want people to notice her. And so Jesus stops. He says, hey, who touched me? And there's people all around him. And the disciples are like, there's so many people pressing up against you. Of course someone touched you. And he said, no, I felt healing power come from me. So he looks around the crowd, and then he makes eye contact with one woman. He said, hey, come here. So he brings her forward, and it says in a different account that she fell before his feet and just told him her story. Hey, I've been suffering for 12 years. I've been bleeding. I felt like an outcast. And she's just crying and weeping. He bends down and says, woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And in Mark, I have the scripture, it's Mark 5, verse 27 through 29. It says, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd and behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her body was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. What I love about this woman is that she dared to believe God for more. Yes, her situation hadn't changed in 12 years. Yes, she was still in pain. Yes, she felt overlooked, but she dared to believe God for more. She pressed in even when it was uncomfortable. Even when she could be disappointed again, she pressed in one more time, and she believed that Jesus could heal her. And that's what I love about this woman. And what's even more beautiful is that not only was she healed in her body, but when Jesus called her forward, he affirmed her identity. She had been overlooked for 12 years, but he brought her out of the whole crowd, looked her in the eyes, and he said, hey, your faith has made you well. You are a woman of faith. You are a woman who knows my voice. You're a woman who believes for more. And he affirmed her identity. And the whole crowd saw that. They're probably whispering to one another, that's the woman that we've been avoiding for 12 years. That woman that we've been avoiding, that's the one that Jesus picked out of the whole crowd. That's the one that Jesus chose to affirm her identity. And I love that because so many times we get disappointed. We see our situation, whether we're waiting for a job, whether we're waiting for finances, whether we're waiting to have children, we're waiting for our children to come to the Lord. I don't know what it is in your life, but many times we're waiting for something. We've hoped and we've dreamed and we've prayed for so many years. And it can be so easy to be disappointed and to draw back in the crowd and kind of admire Jesus from afar because we don't want to get hurt again. But I believe that if we press in one more time, what if Jesus does something? What if we dare to believe God for more? What if we put our reputation on the line and just love him one more time and just cultivate that relationship? Because not only can Jesus change our situation and heal our bodies, but he can also affirm our identity, which I believe can be even more important than our situations changing. Because if we know who we are, that's when things shift. And that's when we're able to walk in healing and walk in life, when we know that we are sons and we are daughters. So I just see that with the woman with the issue of blood. And I wish she had a name, because it's so lengthy to see a woman with the issue of blood. (laughs) But I just see that that is so beautiful, the willingness to believe him for more. And so the last scripture I want to talk about is Ephesians 
verse 3, chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. So whether it's the story of Ruth, and we go to that threshing floor, and we sacrifice something out of obedience, and we lay something down waiting for God to fulfill desires of our heart, or whether it's the story of Esther, when we stand for righteousness, and we have such a conviction in our heart that God sees us where we're at, and he will honor our integrity, or whether it's a woman with the issue of blood, and we've been disappointed for years. We haven't seen God move. Our expectations have not been met. But what if we just dare to believe him one more time? I believe Ephesians 3.20, it says he wants to do far more, beyond, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. And he sees our heart. He sees that we are reflecting his beauty because that is real beauty, you guys. That is beauty that connects us to the Father. That is beauty that makes us fulfilled and draws us closer to him. And so I just wanted to share that this morning and